0: Well, hey, it's, uh, I don't know if you know this, it's kind of nice to know that Jesus is still in the move, that God's still changing lives, God's still in the life change business. Uh, We had an amazing marriage conference this weekend. Uh, God spoke to couples, helped helped me be a better husband. I'm thankful, my wife's super thankful for that. Uh, and God's still, still drawing people to himself. People are still being rescued. People are radically being saved. People are being called to ministry right here in this house. And, and God, I'm just saying, God's, God's doing his thing. He's doing what only God can do. I was thinking, you know, this time last year, uh, we were still online only. I just can't tell you as your pastor how much better it is to see your face. Now, I'm super thankful for online and, and God continues to do his thing online. But it's, it's nice just to be in the house, right? It's good. Super thankful you guys are here. Uh, if you're new, man, we've been working our way verse by verse through this book of the Bible called Philippians. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, when we come to Philippians, uh, we know that the Apostle Paul, he's been in prison for four years at this point. Uh, Apostle Paul, he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Things are not, his, his vision, his goals for his life are a million miles away from his current reality. But the amazing thing is, in the midst of all that, the Apostle Paul has joy. Literally, this letter is dripping with joy. Over 19 times, the Apostle Paul would say, rejoice with me. Find joy in this. In the four short chapters, Paul Paul inevitably has, has joy. And so we've been studying, how, how can we live a life of joy in the midst of the challenges of life? How, how can we conduct ourselves above all as citizens We've been last week we just started a new series in this book of Philippians called Squad Goals. And ultimately, Paul's gonna lay out some goals for every follower of Jesus to strive to attain. Last week we talked about the goal of of righteousness. How how can we have right standing with God? And, And that's a big one, right? And so today, Paul's gonna give us four things that we can do to grow in our relationship with Jesus, four things that we can do to grow in our relationship with with Jesus. So if you would, um, stand to your feet with me. Uh, We're gonna read uh, God's word out loud here. Uh, Here's our scriptures for today. It's found in Philippians chapter three. We're gonna read, uh, we're gonna study verses uh, 12 through 16. So Philippians chapter three, verse 12 through 16. Whenever I get to the uh, highlighted words there, the red, red letter words highlighted in white, I wanna invite you to read those out loud with me, okay? Really loud, really proud. Here we go. Here's what um, the word says. It, says. it says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to take in hold of it, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some, some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't you give someone a high five and then you can have a seat. If you don't want to give a high five, just go ahead and have a seat. Just, just skip the five. If you have some notes, we'll be taking some notes, um, fill in the blanks here in, in a moment. Several years ago, a guy by the name of Jack Canfield, he wrote a book called The Power of Focus. And the book, as you might imagine, uh, was all about focus. And he has a whole lot of research, a whole lot of scientific data to back up this point that, that in order to achieve your goals, you have to you have to Focus. As we view the landscape of history, the men and women that accomplished the most for the Lord and most in their their, their sector of work, in their their career path, were people that were the most focused. It was Steve Jobs who said, innovation is saying no to 1,000 things. It's choosing to say no to some very good things, to focus on the very best things, When we read the New Testament, when we read about this guy named Paul, we realize very quickly that his focus, his primary focus was on Jesus. His primary focus was on knowing God and making him known. Paul was laser focused on helping people find and follow Jesus. And what was the result of his life? Churches were planted. Leaders were raised and released. Thousands were saved under his ministry. Literally today, billions of people around the globe, including us today, continue to study the teaching and the instruction of the Apostle Paul. Now, how did he do that? Well, he lived his life laser-focused on Jesus. If you and I, if we want to grow spiritually, we too need to focus on Christ. So throughout our time today and even next week, we're going to look at principles from the Apostle Paul, how we can grow, how do we grow spiritually? Uh, Four principles to achieve a life that is continually growing in in Christ. I know you guys all desire that. That's our squad goal. That's why why you're here. We want to just, Jesus, we just want to know you more. And so here, if you're taking notes, this is where they begin. First fill in the blank is this. uh, To grow spiritually, uh, we have to own our shortcomings. To grow spiritually, we have to own our shortcomings. Uh, I want to rewind to the two previous verses that we looked at last week. And Paul, Paul would write this. He said, he says this in uh, chapter three, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death. So somehow... Somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's chief aim in life was this. I want to know. Jesus, I just want to know you. And I want you to think about this for a moment. When Paul's writing this to the church of Philippi, he's been following Jesus for 30 years. Longer than some of you have been alive. Paul's been following Christ. He, He was taught the gospel by the resurrected Jesus in the Arabian desert. He had been, he'd been, Paul said this in Corinthians. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven. Like he had this transcendent experience because of his deep relationship with Jesus. And he tells the church, what I saw there, like I can't even articulate in words how amazing it was. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul's in Corinth. He's preaching to this church. It's a city that's in a whole lot of dysfunction. And he's very discouraged. And and the resurrected Jesus appears to Paul. And he says, Paul, don't you give up. Paul, you keep preaching. I need you to do work here. Don't you quit. This is Paul. It, it, it's Paul. At the hands of Paul, he saw the, the sick healed. It was, it was God working through Paul that saw dead men raised to back to life. Crazy miracles. 30 years into his relationship with Jesus. And what's Paul's chief aim? God, I just want to know you. What does this tell us about God? No matter what you know about Jesus, no matter how long you've been following him, no matter what experiences he's given you in his presence, I'm just telling you, there's more. There's more to know. There's more to learn. There's there's more more encounters with him. God forbid we ever get to a place in our spiritual journey where we say, you know what, I think I've been to enough prayer gatherings. You know what I think? I'm, I've, I've, I've set my alarm clock early enough. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to spend time in His presence tomorrow. I, th- I think I've, 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 I've taught enough. I've led enough. I've served enough. God forbid we ever get to that place. Here's Paul, having experienced all that he has. He says, "My aim, I just, I just want to know Him. There's more to His beauty. There's more to His Majesty. There's more. He has more for you. And here's what Paul says next in the verse." that we're going to study today, he says, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet. I haven't taken hold of it yet. I'm still, this is still my chief aim. This is still where I'm focusing my attention because I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. Paul ta- starts by, by just owning his own shortcomings, I mean, and think about it. this is a man who would write one third of your New Testament. By the time Paul is writing this to the church of Philippi, all the letters that he would write in your Bible have been written at this point, besides Timothy and Titus. Paul could have said like, I'm going to go chill on the beach somewhere, boys, because I put in my time. You know, that, that, we would understand that. But Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm pressing on. I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. There's more grace for me to experience. There's more work for me to do. There's more miracles to be had. God, God's hand of favor was on the apostle Paul so much that, that as he's doing construction projects, he's sweating, he's building tents, and, and people know that God's hand of favor is on Paul. So like, hey, my brother's sick. Paul, can you come? He's like, no, I got, I got, I got I'm preaching tonight. I got to finish this. I can't, but he's like, here, just take this. See what it does. And he takes, they take the sweat rags from the apostle Paul. They lay it on the sick and the sick people are healed. I mean, you talk about favor. You talk about the power of God resting on an individual's life. And what's Paul's response? I'm still just an imperfect person in progress. I haven't haven't arrived yet. One of the things that, that will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus is realizing that you haven't seen it all. You haven't heard it all. You haven't experienced it all. Two things I think that are essential for spiritual growth to even start. I think spiritual growth will be very challenged if, if possible at all without these two things. The first is this, an understanding that we haven't arrived. I understand that, I don't know, Like I don't know it all. I haven't arrived yet. There's still more, there's still more to experience. I think one thing that's gonna make heaven so wonderful, one thing that makes the Christian life so vibrant, so life-changing, so engaging, so electric, is that there's more to God's presence. I think a million years into heaven, after you've been in heaven a million years, you're still going to be in awe of the king of kings, and the Lord. of And I think your response is going to be, God, I just want to know you more. I haven't arrived yet. we got to understand that the second thing that is necessary for spiritual growth to take place is a longing to be different than we currently are. That's Paul. He, long, he longs to know just more. He, he knows he hasn't, he hasn't absorbed it all. He hasn't seen it all. And he's saying, God, would you just do a work in my heart? Listen, the longer I preach, the more I study God's word, the more I realize I don't know much. I have a whole lot more to learn, I have a whole lot more to apply. God, God still needs to do a deep work in, in my heart. When we own our shortcomings, we realize that we haven't arrived. God has more for our lives. And we have a hunger. Hunger just for more of his presence. That's where spiritual growth begins. That's where Paul's at. Second thing, and you take a note, second fill in the blank, is to grow spiritually, we must press into Christ. We must press into Christ. L- look at what it says in Philippians 3, 312. He says, but, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took on hold of me. Uh, verse 14, I press on. I press on towards the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That that word press is an interesting word. It it literally means this. It means to move quickly and energetically towards an objective. To move quickly, to move energetically towards an objective. We we could label that a a spiritual veracity, an aggressive intensity. Paul's saying, "I I have a spiritual veracity to take hold of Christ. I'm moving forward quickly and energetically just to to know him more. Here's what I want you to know. There's no such thing as as passive spiritual growth. We we can't just sit back and say, well, if God wants to change my life, God can change my life. Here's what I know from my own story. I I heard dudes like me on a stage like this tell tell a group like this, God will change your life. And I believe that 100% because he's changed my life. But here's what I didn't grasp at the time because I would go home and I'd still have all my, my same circle of friends, my same desires, my same, my same addictions, my same habits. They'd say, God changed my life and my life wouldn't change. So I thought maybe God didn't want me. Maybe God didn't, didn't choose me, maybe God didn't love me. And I understood that because I was screwing up a whole lot. But what I didn't understand at the time, that in order for me to grow spiritually, in order for you to grow spiritually, there has to be a, a, an energy, we have to move energetically. We have to, we have to move quickly towards an objective. And, and Paul, Paul's just saying, my objective, I'm pressing on to take hold, I'm t- pressing on to take hold of Christ. After all he had experienced, he's still pressing on. He's still pressing in. And I would just suggest that you and I have to do the same. Whenever we hear of someone who's experienced God's life changing power, here's what I know to be true of them. One, I know God's done a deep work in their life. Second thing, I know that they've pressed into Christ. They have intentionally pursued Christ. They didn't just set back passively, they took action toward Him. 1 Corinthians 9 24, Paul writes this. He says, uh, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So what's Paul's response to that? Run to win. Be in this, don't play games here. Be in this to win it, run to win. All athletes discipline are disciplined in their training. They do so to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm focused on my goal and my goal is Christ. We just watched the Winter Olympic Games. And if you heard some of the commentary before and after those races or before those events, then you heard some of the rigor of their discipline. You know how long they've trained. I mean, these, these people have been working towards this goal their entire lives. Uh, my, my cousin, he was training to be an Olympic athlete and uh, he ran for the University of Arkansas. He came over for dinner and uh, my parents are here. Shout out to my mama, um, my mom and my dad here. Uh, my mom, so check this out. My mom grilled chicken breast and salad. Like, we don't, (laughs) I mean, we had that sometimes, but that wasn't typically on the menu, you know? And and so chicken breast and salad, my cousin, because he's training to be an Olympic athlete, said, I can't eat that salad. That's iceberg salad. That's like poison. I was like, bro, you better not talk about my mom's cooking like that. I'll take you out to the woodshed. But I'm saying he was disciplined in his pursuit. Paul's saying just as that dude won't eat salad because he's training to be an Olympic, just just as he does it to win a prize, he didn't even get there. But if he did, and if he won gold, he would do it for a piece of gold medal and a little ribbon around his neck. And Paul's like, check it out. Don't pursue that. Do something that will last for all of eternity. Run with purpose in your walk with God. Why? Because it matters. It matters now, and it matters throughout eternity. When Paul was writing to this church, the Olympians would literally get this wreath, like this, think of like almost like a Christmas wreath they put on their head, like it was this little green thing. Literally days later would fade. They do it to win a crown that will fade away, but we do it for something that has eternal value. Therefore, we run with purpose in every step. Can I just ask, how are you doing in that area? Are you running this race to win? Are, are, you, are you pursuing Christ? Are you pressing on with, with enthusiasm? Are you pressing on enthousi- like, energetically towards this objective saying, Jesus, Jesus, I just need more of you in my life. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Philippians 3.12, you see it? He says, what, what's my goal? I'm pressing on to take hold of him who's already taken hold of me. You know Jesus pursued you? Do you know that he like intentionally, energetically, strategically orchestrated seasons in your life to bring you to this place? where you'd say, God, I want to know you. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know God yet. And I would say, hey, he's still orchestrated very intentionally, very strategically to bring you into a place like this. So at the end of the message, you can begin a relationship with him. He loves you that much. He's pursuing you. Listen, uh, you might have been a surprise to a lot of people, uh, but you need to know this. Before the creation of the world, God had you on his mind. He planned your creation. He had, he had plans for your salvation, he planned for you to press into him, to go on this journey to say, God, I want to know you. Every day of my life, I'm living in pursuit of you. I'm, I'm moving forward intentionally. I'm taking steps in my relationship because I just want to know you more. Not only that, but he, he planned your glorification. He, he has plans that whenever this body of yours, this body of mine wears out, he's got plans to give you a new body so that you can experience the power and his presence for all of eternity. He had, he had all that in mind before your parents ever knew you could be a reality. Before the foundations of the world, he knew you. And why did he take hold of you? Why did he aggressively and energetically and strategically pursue you? Romans eight twenty nine says this. He says, for, for God knew his people in advance. Before you were born, he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for your life. And here's the plan. Here's the purpose. He chose them to become like his son. That's his goal for you. Here's why. Because when you become more like Jesus, you come alive. Listen, we, we don't learn how an iPad works by, we, like we don't use this as a hammer. Why? Because it wasn't created to in a hammer. Like, like your life was created to, to be like his son. And when you, become, when, you, when you step into your purpose, that's where the abundant life is. That's where freedom's found. That's the good life. I used to think Christianity was such a buzzkill until I realized that Christianity isn't about a religion. It's about a relationship with the savior of the world and the goal, the purpose is to become more like Jesus. That's his plans for you. So what's a Christian? What's what's a disciple? What's a follower of Jesus all about? Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, disciples are those seriously intending to become like Jesus from the inside out. Systematically and progressively rearrange their affairs to that end under the guidance of the word and the Holy Spirit. That is how the disciple lives. Let me just ask you, are, are you seriously intending to become more like Jesus. And if you are, are you systematically and progressively rearranging your schedule, rearranging your life to that end saying, I just want to be more like Jesus. That's what disciples do. Paul says, this one thing I'm pursuing, I just want to be like, this is my focus. It's my number one goal. Is it your number one goal? I, hey, before I preach this to you, you just need to know i preach preached it to myself about five or six times. And I realize that's a tough statement. And if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not there. Like, honest confession, I woke up this morning trying to think about how I could help my son's baseball swing. Like an eight-year-old, like I'm thinking about drills we can do with him. That's where my mind was this morning. I, I, oftentimes, I think about you and how I can grow this church and how I can invest more into you. Oftentimes, that's my goal if I'm honest. But, but just like all of us, sometimes I need to repent. And repentance isn't like a, a cuss word. Repentance is just saying, I was going this way. Now I just need to turn back and focus on Jesus. I was doing my own thing. I, was, I woke up with the first thought in my mind, trying to help my son with his baseball swing. That's not a bad thing, but I need to come back and say, Jesus, my day is yours. Listen, whenever I put Jesus first, when you put Jesus first, when I put Jesus first, I'm a better pastor for you. When, when I put Jesus first, I'm a better husband for my wife. I'm a better dad for my kids. When that's my primary aim It's amazing how everything else falls into place. And I'm just saying the same is true for you. Whatever your vocation may be, whatever your family dynamics may be, when you you are seriously, systematically, and progressively aligning your life, saying, Jesus, I just want to be more like you, you'd be amazed at how God works in your life. Paul could have said a lot of things. He could have said, I press on to get out of prison. He could have said, I press on to see my friends and family again. He could have said, I press on to see justice served. I've been, in jail, I've been in prison. Your boy's been in prison four years. I need some justice. I'm pressing on towards. He didn't say that. He said, even in the midst of change, even in the midst of prison, I'm pressing on. This is my goal. I just want to know Jesus, regardless of my circumstances. That was the focus of his life. Jesus said this. Here's Jesus' words, Matthew 6, But seek first. Like, like, make this your primary focus. If you're going to focus on anything, focus here. Let, the, let this be what you strive for. Let this be what consumes your thoughts. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Here, here's what I would say. His kingdom, his purposes. So if you're taking notes, I'll just write that in there. His kingdom equals his purposes. That's what he's talking about. Seek first his righteousness. What does that mean? His values, his standards. I'm going to seek first, God, your purposes. I'm going to live my life according to your standards. God says when you do that, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. You step into what I'm about, I'll step into what you're about. You take care of of what's in priority to me, I'll take care of of you. He's saying take, take care of my business, I'll take care of. Number one squad goal for every Christian, become more like Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what a Christian is. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with him. And if we want to grow spiritually, we have to press into him energetically, pursuing him, not passively. Third thing, to grow spiritually, we need to forget the past. If we want to grow spiritually, we need to forget the past. Philippians 3.13 says this. It says, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to take a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straighting towards what's ahead. You know, every runner, he runs looking forward, never looking over his shoulder. Uh, the first ever sub-four-minute mile was broken by a guy named Roger Bannister. Uh, Roger Bannister was racing against Jan La- John Landy in uh, Canada. Actually, shout out to the Canadian fans over here. Um, uh, that's right. And, uh, and Landy was a better miler than Roger. It, it was, they thought at the time it was humanly impossible to beat a sub-four-minute mile. Well, John Landy was actually beating Roger Bannister. He comes around the turn and he he looks over his shoulder because he knows he's running at a fast clip. He's like, I'm smoking these dudes. They're nowhere near me. He looks over his right shoulder. When he does, Roger Banner passes him. And Roger Bannister sets a new world record. In the same way, we can't run, win a race, looking over our shoulder. We got to look ahead. There's a a pastor friend of mine in college. He he always had uh, this kangaroo on him. He pastored a great church. I kind of looked up to him. But I thought, that's kind of weird. The kangaroo thing was weird to me. He had this kangaroo on his tie. If he wasn't wearing a tie, he put it on his hat. If He always had, oh, had a kangaroo on. I'm like, what's up with the kangaroo? He said, well, Tim, there's a couple things you need to know. I've done some things in my past I'm not super proud of. But I want you to know that the kangaroo can only run forward. He's like, it's a reminder to me every time I see it, I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm moving ahead to what God has for me. That's a good word for us. We need to forget some things behind us. We need to take hold of some things ahead of us. Every time you get into your car, the rear view mirror is small, right? Windshield's big. Because when you're driving a car, what's ahead of you is more important than what's behind you. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's what I challenge you to do this week. Every time you get into a vehicle, whether you're driving or not, say to yourself or make this declaration out loud, what's in front of me is more important than what's behind me. Uh, if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to grasp that one, Right? So what's, been, what's in front of me is more important than what's behind me. God, I've, I truly believe the best days are still ahead of me. But now check this out. This is the Apostle Paul. He's done great. Like he's planted churches, billions of people, like dead raised. Like he's like, I'm forgetting it. What does he forget? First, he forgets his, success, his uh, successes. He has to, we have to let go of some things that we're really proud of. Paul had to forget about all the churches he planned. He'd forget about all the letters he had written. He had to forget about all the miracles, all the time in prayer. He, had to, he said, no, no, if I'm a, uh, otherwise he'll relish in that. He'll say, man, look at the victories of my past. Aren't I awesome? And it'll keep him from pressing on in the present. The same can be true for you and I. We can look back over our shoulder and remember those times when God met us. We can remember those experiences in his presence. We can remember that gathering. We can remember that ministry. We can remember, remember those times. Man, how close Jesus felt back then. And if you you live from that posture, you'll miss what God wants to do in your present. Listen, it's true for us as a church. We're part of a tremendous church here with a rich history. And I love Central's history. But if we're always looking over our past, remember when that ministry took place, we used to sing those songs. We used to do things this way. I remember when the pastor used to do that. I remember when that ministry used to do this. We're always looking back. Listen, I'm just saying we might as well hang it up. If you don't believe the best days are still ahead of us, that will hinder growth. You'll be the hindrance to growth. Listen, but if you have this optimistic outlook like Paul and say, no, the best days are still ahead. God has more ministry for us to do. There's more ground for us to take. Listen, that's when you grow. That's when we grow. That's when life flourishes. There's more. Paul knew that. And so he said, I forget what's behind. I'm striving towards what's ahead. Second thing he forgets is the failures. And some of you, this is what hangs you up. This is what consumes your mind. Because some of you, I mean, if you're honest, you'd say, man, I've really blown it. It was a major blow up. Maybe it's a reoccurring sin. Maybe it's something you set out and said, God, I'm going a, I'm to do this. It's going to be awesome. I'll do it for you. And you quit. You failed. And it gnaws at you. And as a result, you just keep looking over your shoulder at things of the past. And Paul's saying, you got to let that go. Paul persecuted the church. He told us this in chapter three just last week. We studied it. He said, I was so zealously going after, I was so zealous for for attaining legalistic righteousness that I I was killing Christians. You think that didn't haunt him the rest of his life? You think the devil didn't like play on that? That's why he said, nah, I'm forgetting some stuff. I'm forgetting the good things. I'm also forgetting my failures. I got good news for you, friends. Yesterday really did end last night. The Bible says that his mercy is fresh and new each morning. He's got fresh mercy for you today, but if you're, you're still grieving, still, still feeling shame and guilt from your past, then you'll miss the fresh mercy he has in front of you. If we're gonna grow spiritually, we need to forget the past. It'll hinder us from taking hold of what God desires to do in the present. Fourth thing, if we're gonna grow spiritually, we need to stop comparing ourselves with others. If we're gonna grow spiritually, we need to stop comparing ourselves with others. Here, here, the road of comparison has deep ditches on both sides. Imagine this aisle is a road, and this is the road of comparison. There are deep ditches on both sides. You guys aren't ditches, by the way. Um, but, but, But comparison will do one of two things. Comparison will lead to pride or pressure, and both of those are from the devil. Neither one of those things are from God. Comparison will lead to pride, saying, man, at least I'm not like them. I mean, sure, I'm not growing spiritually, but you see what they posted? Like, at least I'm not out doing that, right? It uh, lead, lead to pride. Well, I mean, my family's not all together, but you hear what happened to so and so? Woo! right? Pride. That's not from God, or pressure. Man, I'll never be as spiritual as they are. No matter how much I try, like I'm just—I don't even—I I thought I, I don't even know where to begin in the Bible. Opened up and I thought there was a book called about how to get a job. That's apparently that's called Job. I didn't know. You know, like you just you you, you put pressure on yourself, right? Comparison will lead to pride or pressure, and neither one of those things are from God. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3:15. He says, so, "So all of us who are mature." Should take such a view of things. What what are the things he's saying we should take a view of? We we should understand that whenever it comes to to growing spirits, we have to own our spiritual shortcomings. We have to realize we haven't arrived yet. If we're going to grow spiritually, those of us who are mature, we have to press into Christ. We have to know there's nothing passive. Spiritual growth doesn't take place passively. We have to aggressively go after it. Those who are spiritually mature understand that. People who are spiritually mature, they let go of their past. The good things, the bad things, and they strive towards what's ahead of them. But Paul knew that people would push back on this teaching. But Paul knew that, that not everyone would agree with him. Paul knew that, that people would not take ownership of their lack of spiritual growth. So how does Paul handle that? Now check this out. I think this, is, this next verse is so instructive for us today. Look what Paul says in, in chapter 3, 15, uh, the second part of it. He says, and if at some point, so all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Paul doesn't press them. Paul doesn't argue with them. Paul leaves them in God's hands. Paul left people in God's hands. He knew that, hey, if you want to grow spiritually, this is what you do. But I can't force you to grow spiritually spiritually. So if you, you disagree with me, hey, God will make it clear to you. What do you do with people who don't want to grow spiritually? What do you do if your grown kids aren't following Christ? What do you do if your spouse is far from God? What do you, what do, you do if your grandkids are being raised in an environment that doesn't foster spiritual growth for them? What do you do? All of us have people that we love who are not walking with Jesus, who are not growing spiritually. What do you do? I would suggest if we're sitting down for a cup of coffee, I'd tell you four, they do these four things, love them enough to tell them the truth. Love them enough to say, Hey, here's what the Bible says. Like, Hey, I love you. Hey, here's what God's done in my life. Love them enough to tell them the gospel. Love them enough to, to frequently tell them how God's working in your life. Love them enough to, to pray for them. Check it out. The Bible says that no one comes unless the father draws them. Like you can't do it. Only God can. You got to pray. Love them enough to to demonstrate truth with your life. Know this, like, like you're gonna be the only Bible that they're currently reading. Live out the word of God in your life. Pray for them and leave them in God's hands. Oftentimes we have to cycle through this, perhaps for years. But it doesn't mean you stop loving them. Continue to tell them the truth. Continue to demonstrate truth with your life. Like, check it out, my, my parents are here. I, I would just say this as a testimony from a grown son that was living on my own terms, like far, far from God. My parents, my, they, they just, they just continue to demonstrate truth with their life. Well, I, they would find, they'd put like post-it notes by the toilet paper in the bathroom, right? Like, and, and looking back on it, I thought, why are you trying to pressure me in this? Now I realize they were trying to keep their own sanity because I was driving them crazy, right? But but they demonstrated truth with their life. They never stopped loving me. They they kept boundaries for me. But they love me. And and, and I couldn't deny that. I think it was Mark Twain who said, there's nothing more irritating than a good example. (laughs) Demonstrate with your life. Pray for them. Leave them in God's hand. Listen, we can't force people to grow. We can't force people to grow spiritually. I wish we could. Hey, I've tried it. And I, my testimony is it backfires every time. It blows up in my face. But remember this, God loves them more than you love them. God desires for them to know him more than you desire for them to know him. And you need to know that God's working in ways that you don't see. He, he's, he's orchestrating, he, just as he pursued you, just as he systematically, strategically, energetically pursued you, he's pursuing them too rest in leaving them in God's hands. Here's the challenge. Don't get so consumed with their lack of spiritual growth that you stop growing spiritually. You focus on Christ, you focus on growing in Christ, you focus on experiencing more of God's power. God, I just need more of your presence in my life. God, I just wanna know you more. Let that be what consumes you. John Wesley said this, catch on fire for God and people will come from miles to watch you burn. They might not have to come from miles, they might just have to come from the living room. They might just have to come over for family dinner. And when they do, you say, let me just tell you about my Jesus, what he's been doing in my life. Man, here's what was going on and he came through. Man, I know you may not believe that, but that's a miracle. That just doesn't happen. Focus your attention on Christ. Press into the one who has taken hold of you. Then Paul closes this section and he says, stop comparing yourself with others, but instead do this. Verse 16, only let us live up to... What we've already attained Listen, don't worry about what everybody else knows. What do you know? Do, do you know that God desires a relationship with you? Do you know a relationship requires you praying? Well, live up to that. Do you believe this is God's word, and like God speaks to us through His word? Well, then live up to that. Uh-oh, don't worry about what they're doing. You just focus on Jesus. Let us. let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul saying, "Hey, you and me. Let's live out the truth we understand. Let's, let's make a choice. We're going to grow in Christ. We're going to live in awe of who he is. We're just going to behold his majesty. Jesus, we just want more of you. We're going to live enthralled with him. We're going to enjoy him. We're going to think about him. We're going to set our minds on things above, not on things below. Let Christ give you an experience of his power, his resurrection power, the fellowship of his sufferings, let's set our hearts just to, Jesus, we just want to know you more. In closing, I got two questions for you. Two questions as we close out this service. Uh, The first is this, are are you growing in Christ? Are are you growing in Christ? Paul said this one thing I do, I'm going to forget what's behind, and I'm going to press on to take hold of him who took hold of me. That's my focus. That's my chief aim in life. Listen, I know you want to grow in Christ. That's why you're here. Today is simply an invitation to recalibrate your heart, recalibrate your calendar, recalibrate your priorities, recalibrate your schedule to say, Jesus, my number one focus is I just want to know you more. Here's what I would ask you to do if you're willing to take action in that area. First, ask ask God to help you reorder your focus. Second, get your calendar out, be intentional about this. From this time to this time, God, I'm scheduling a meeting with you. It's unhindered time, uninterrupted time. If I miss a day, I'm 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 not canceled tomorrow. I'm back on schedule. Restructure your day to grow in Christ. Second question I wanna ask is, have you begun a relationship with Jesus? Not do you know about him, but do you know him? Like, are you walking with him? Do you know, he saved you. He's rescued you from the shame of your past that he's, he's, he's given you the power to find freedom from sin. Like he's, he wants relationship with you. Are you, have you begun walking with Christ? Earlier I read Romans eight twenty nine, 29, and, and it says this, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. The very next verse says this, and having chosen them, check this out. He called them to come to him. Listen, the call to follow Jesus is not a call to join a church. Be great if you want to, but that's you. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to a religion. The call to follow Jesus is a call just to come to him. Listen, life transformation takes place from the inside out. Christianity isn't about behavior modification. It's about a real relationship with a real God who really loves you and allowing him to come into your heart and do a deep work and just say, God, I'm not where I want to be, but God, I hear you. You're in the life change business. So God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to intentionally go after you. God, here's my life. He'll give you a a brand new start. He'll make you a brand new person. Uh, Jesus said this is no one can go to heaven unless he's born again. It's that life changing encounter with him. Paul put it this way, the old is gone, the new has come. Has that happened in your life? If not, you just need to know God has strategically gone after you. He has pursued you. I don't know what brought you here today, but he's orchestrated your steps to land in the seat you're sitting in so, so that you'd hear this, he wants a relationship with you. He, he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins, to set you free from your shame, your guilt so that you can let go of the past and take hold of what he has for you in the present. Once you enjoy his presence, not just today, but for all of eternity. The Bible says this, that if you you call out to the Lord, you'll be saved. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved, but you've got to call. It's a choice you can make. I'm not gonna try to force spiritual growth on you. That's backfired on me already, but if you want to make that choice, it would be my joy to help you begin that relationship begins by, by talking to God. We call it prayer. But it's really you just talking to God. And if that's where you're at, I would love to, to lead you in a prayer to begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you would, bow your head, close your eyes. If that's you, you just you say a prayer like this to God. Say, Jesus, I thank you to go, for going to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Today, I want to receive your forgiveness. Today, God, I surrender my life to you pray God you'd make me a new person as I partner with you in this relationship for all my life thank you for doing that that's your prayer today with every head bowed and you continue to pray I would love to pray for you specifically before we get out of here and so if you would be so courageous just to lift up your hand show me that man that was my commitment today I committed my life to Jesus thanks 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 yeah, thanks Jesus, you see all the hands lifting up to you. Now God, I I pray you'd reach down to them. And Father, I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. That God, they would sense right now the shame of their past being lifted off their shoulders. That God, their, their guilt, they would know is erased. That Jesus, because of what you did for them on the cross, they would know they can stand before you, faultless, blameless pure. God, we thank you for that reality for them. Thank you for loving us that much. Now, God, I pray that you would help them to pursue you, to press into you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's awesome. Let's give it up for those people that made that spiritual commitment today.